Hello, everyone, and welcome to Enablement Amplified. I'm your host, Fiona Simpson. Welcome to the next episode of Enablement Amplified. I am here with Christian Palmer. He is a veteran sales enablement enabler, uh, and he's got a whole lot of cool stuff to share with us. Hey, Christian, welcome to the show. Fiona, thanks so much for having me. Tell us a little bit about you, kind of your history and enablement, and then we'll really dive into some of the meat and potatoes. Yeah, really quick uh, backstory. So kind of got my start in hospitality and retail for quite a while uh, while I was in my college years and worked in various different industries such as recruitment and ride hailing and whatnot. Um, But I really didn't make my foray into enablement until around uh, five or six or so years ago. And at the time, um, enablement wasn't even really a word. Um, So it was able to kind of successfully bring some businesses through pre-series A, through to series B, build sales departments from complete scratch on more of the management side. But currently I'm leading the global revenue enablement at Riskified along with my other team members. But my remit within that is more around the delivery and coaching aspect of it. Um, But obviously that's done on a global scale. You're one of those guys. <laughs> That's right. We love our delivery and coaching folks. No, they're great. It's such an important part of enablement. And I love that on a, like a global team, everybody kind of has their focus and you get to do like one specific project as opposed to wearing all the hats. <laughs> That's right. Very used to love that. <laughs> uh, so I already know what your question is, but I want you to share your what if question with the team because I think it's a very spicy one and I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, I'm sure a lot of people probably have their their opinions and thoughts on this one, but it is, what if we finally agreed where enablement should sit within an organization? Dun, dun, dun. Yes. <laughs> I feel like we are either, like, this is one of those questions that will be solved in the next 18 months permanently and we'll never have to talk about it ever again, <laughs> or we will all go to our deathbeds arguing about where enablement should sit within an organization. I love getting into this conversation because I have some very strong opinions about this and I know you do too. And I know some folks like Jerry Farr and some other folks also do. So before we maybe plant our flags in the ground on where we think it should live, tell me a little bit about why this came up for you. When did you start exploring the idea? What have you seen out there? I think it really happened organically where a few different factors kind of came into my peripherals at the same time. Initially, I worked for, I've worked for a bunch of different organizations at different stages of their life cycle and in different capacities, some of which you could say were enablement type roles, but again, like I said before, didn't have that title. And over time, I started thinking about like, where's our home? You know, like where, where do we actually live? And there's so many different ways and opinions and things and people's perspectives that you see out there. And I started noticing like LinkedIn posts from different folks starting to bring it up and what people generally started to feel was not the way I felt with where I had sat in enablement in the various organizations I've done enablement in. So I really wanted to like dive into that a little bit deeper, like what does good look like and then relate it back to, you know, maybe some of the experiences that I had had so far. Love it. Love it. I think one of the things that triggers this question or or one of the ways that we ended up here is because so many people have different ideas about what enablement could be, should be, etc. 
that's another podcast right. for another day. <laughs> um, but I think the result of that sort of what if question, which thankfully folks like the Revenue Enablement Society and everyone else are helping kind of funnel the vision of, of how expansive really the answer to that question is. And I think that will help us align better under, you know, sort of the organizational framework. But when you think about the creation of an, an enablement function in a, an organization, how does that creation part of the process play into where enablement sits in the organization? It's a great question, Fiona. And it's, I, I feel like it's directly related to the pain or the solution you're trying to get either over or through to, to prompt that hire initially. And that generally dictates where they're going to be in the organization as well as what their remit will be. There could be instances where maybe it's a uh, smaller organization that has a handful, maybe a dozen or so folks, and you're going to be the end all be all almost, you know, in essence, a productivity type of hire and touching all these different areas of the business, whether it's the product team or marketing or even finance. It sounds a little silly, but you could. And when, you know, like when you think about where it should be, it doesn't always pan out the way that it's initially envisioned by leadership to bring somebody on. And I think some of that's related to there's not a herd. You hear this phrase, you heard this phrase a lot during COVID, herd immunity. Nobody gets scared. <laughs> but basically, there's no herd kind of understanding of enablement across more leadership and executive type functions. I think it's starting to get there now. Thank but, goodness. You know, over the, over, <laughs> yes, thankfully. But over the last couple of years, it's it's kind of been a little hairy in terms of like what where's the best route to go? So sometimes it can be like, let's throw a headcount at the problem that is an enablement function, um, but it doesn't always actually meet the needs of what that team is having trouble with at that moment. It's kind of um, almost a reactive type of measure. Whereas if you kind of think about how do we actually build a function out of this other, forget about just hiring a role or hiring somebody into that seat, but like, how do we actually make this into a larger, more impactful unit for the entire business? Right. And I think it's interesting what you said there about throwing a headcount at the problem, because it's sort of like what our salespeople before they are enabled do on a demo or a call, right? They're like, yeah. hey, let me throw this solution when I don't even understand what the problem is. And so I think you're absolutely right, especially in earlier stage companies, especially when there's sort of an itch for like, we have this problem, we're identifying the problem, but we don't really know what the solution is or vice versa. We we think we have a solution, but we don't really know what the problem is. You end up with a very disjointed thought process around enablement. So let's take this a little bit higher level. Let's imagine for a minute in our perfect world, we're going to go ahead and put our flags in the ground, guys. In our perfect world, let's say that leadership is aligned on some enablement functions or at least the the outline of what they need. How do we, where do we put our enablement function? Tell me what you got, Christian. Again, there's going to be very differing <laughs> opinions. We're, we're both sitting here like so nervous just to say anything because we're going to piss some people off. But hey, listen, 
we're imagining a perfect world, okay? That's right. There's, there's no wrong answers. <laughs> These flags have to go somewhere. Correct. <laughs> and I, I think, and, and thankfully, I am in a position now where this is the way enablement's been applied within the organization I'm very thankful for, is to have it report into an executive sales function. And that is- I'm literally pumping my hands up and down, like yes. raising the roof. <laughs> it, it's a CSO, a CRO, probably the more traditional example would be like a VP of sales, but somebody who is between or at the executive leadership level and between like the middle level managers, maybe the, the team leads or just sales managers of the world. And that seems to be the best kind of best case scenario where goals can be aligned. I 150,000% agree. <laughs> I I think that as, and let me frame this, I think again, in the direction where everything is headed, as we're headed to chief revenue officers, right? Hmm. And what in a lot of organizations today is still a chief sales officer, a, a SVP of sales, right? Depending on how mature the organization is. As we're headed in that direction of traditional sales owning a lot more of the revenue stream, I think it's critical for enablement to be aligned to that part of the organization because that is where we make impact. That is where we get the stakeholders that we need. And I love that you said that the head of the sales organization sits between executive leadership and middle management, frontline managers, et cetera. And the reason to me that that's so critical is because you need someone who is going to go to bat for you on mm. the leadership side of things. On the flip side, and I've been through this, they also are going to protect you from the board, leadership, et cetera, when things aren't going so great for the company, they're there to be a shield for you as well, right? So on the one hand with leadership, they're going to be advocating for you and they're also going to be protecting you. On the other side of the spectrum, when you essentially are one of the people that reports into this sales leader, just like the sales managers, rev ops often reports right directly into the CRO, when you are on the same plane as those people, you have so much more, I'll call it political capital in the sense that yeah. you are on the same playing field with managers across your organization. And the value in that piece of it is that you will have the respect and the authority and hopefully the trust and the things that go with that to let you do your functions. As opposed to, I think if you go any lower, if you're not reporting into that leader in the sales organization, the revenue organization, if you're any lower than that in the organization, no one's going to listen to you because you don't have the authority and you don't have that proximity to executive leadership. So I'm 100% with you. I know there's a lot of people still that believe that enablement should fall under RevOps. Give me two reasons why that could be a good idea and however many reasons you have why that's a bad idea <laughs> you know how like a lot of the times you hear that phrase like it looks good on paper like i think that probably applies here the most and i think in theory if we if we assess the right right way RevOps probably <laughs> should be looked at and have a remit for then our goals would be relatively aligned in regards to a, a RevOps person is going to have probably different targets more related to, could be 
Salesforce hygiene could be through making sure that the goals are being hit effectively and they're communicating how best to kind of create those checks and balances within the organization to drive and I'm sorry, impact and influence that revenue. Mm -hmm. And we kind of do something similar, just a different aspect of it where a lot of the times enablement can kind of come in and complement a RevOps person by delivering that message, right? Absolutely. Or, you know, taking what it is that they want to promote and make that into a session or a collateral. And like in the best scenarios that I've worked with RevOps, that's where it's really been effective. I but, totally agree. Like, yeah. like enablement needs to be a partner to RevOps in the same way that we're a partner to product marketing, let's say, right? That's right. And, and RevOps, a lot of the time, what I, what I tend to see on the other side of that coin is that the goals are not as aligned, especially if you're not both kind of rolling up into that VP of sales like we're suggesting right here. Because like they're, if they're, for say, underneath an operations function, which is I tend mm -hmm. to see kind of what where they usually land and we're on a different area, if we're in underneath sales, ideally, or, you know, God forbid, we're with HR or L&D or something along those lines. <laughs> we'll get into know, that one in a minute. <laughs> there's no way there, there's just no possible way you know for for both teams to kind of move towards the path that we all want to get to and kind of drive those uh people like to say like north star metrics and revenue goals for the company like unless they're working in tandem with each other we're working in silos i i absolutely agree i think one of the challenges with RevOps too is that your sellers don't report to sales, just excuse me, to RevOps. So you get this challenge or sort of this tension between the people that oversee your sellers. And then if if enablement is under RevOps, right, that's not the same leadership alignment, typically speaking. And I think that becomes a really big challenge. I think RevOps is incredibly important function in the business. But I think that if you bundle enablement underneath it, you really silo enablement into this area of the business that doesn't have a lot of authority in the sense of like the broader selling organization. It's more of like, I almost think of it as RevOps is the like the grand vizier, right? Like whispering into the king's ear of like, hey, this is what we need to do. Here are the problems, right? Like they're really in an advisory capacity. They are much right. less in an action taking capacity in most organizations. And I think that's where the challenge is with aligning enablement to RevOps. I typically, when I get to this part of the conversation about RevOps, I make some digs about RevOps, but I'm going to leave that alone for today because I'm in a great mood and I don't want to bring myself down <laughs> and I don't want to bring down our friends. Water, yeah. Right. I know yeah. we all, we all have our RevOps jokes, so I'll leave that one alone for today. But you mentioned this and I want to dig into this because I have seen, uh, I almost feel like this is like the death knell for enablement in an organization when it gets aligned under HR slash L and D. Tell me your thoughts on how that happens, because I see it a lot, right? So let's think about how that ends up happening, and then let's talk about what issues come up when enablement does fall under HR slash L&D. It could be a variety of reasons. The first one that comes to mind is like, they don't know where else to put enablers, right? And they end up going into those those types of teams for a variety of different reasons. The first one that definitely comes to mind is what's HR's main remit if we had to kind of boil it down, right? They are basically a stakeholder for the employees, every employee. 
So we're not mm-hmm. even just talking about a go-to-market or sales rep or middle-level manager, whatever. It's going to be everybody in data and marketing and finance, so on and so forth. So we are maybe somewhat of an extension of that because our customer is salespeople. And I think that that logic, right. yes, and that and that logic could be why they want to like group us up in that regard. But the problem is, is that our function by nature is going to be working with our main customer sales that I don't know if HR, probably the least, is going to have interaction <laughs> with. And like, yeah, they may know like top level details and whatnot, but how are they going to help enablers underneath them drive that change? And I just don't think that, again, with the the goals not being the same and alignment, you know, definitely from an HR perspective, if you think about like L&D, a little exactly. bit closer, right? A little bit, but still somewhat far. <laughs> like I, we have an L&D function at my company currently and the enablement department and the L&D function do handle different remits, but you could argue that we do similar type of work. We both host sessions, we both create materials, we both, you know, do these things obviously with different with with different uh priorities and and different use cases. But at the end of the day, L&D to me, and I've been in an L&D role in the past, I'm sure you've done some type of L&D work in the past too, Fiona. Mm-hmm. It's like very much in one lane for L&D. They're not going to be dynamic. They won't be strategic. They won't be able to. I wish I had a bell that I could ring. I'm going to go find a sound effect for when I do post-production. Like ding, 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 ding. (laughs) L&D is not strategic. It never has been and it never will be. And I think that is one of the biggest problems. Mm -hmm. Nailed it. I think the challenge becomes like, I think that's where the thought gets formulated, right? Like, oh, enablement does L&D. And in a lot of organizations, that's almost all they are responsible for. Therefore, it should be part of the larger L&D organization. But to your point, there's there's only so much that HR-based L&D is responsible for. I think they are ultimately responsible, like you said earlier, for the employee base as a whole. And the things that the company needs to convey to all of those employees, right? So whether that's corporate policies, corporate onboarding, and I say that to kind of distinguish it from revenue sales Sales onboarding, onboarding. Mm -hmm. company culture, you know, professional development, like capital P, capital D, right? Those things that are very generic and broad across the entire organization. And when enablement falls under that umbrella, you run the risk of limiting one, I think, how deep they can go with their sellers, because again, we have that alignment issue, right? And the authority isn't there. And then two, you already hit the nail on the head with this. The goals are not aligned, right? L&D's remit and HR's remit is to have good employees. That is their job, right? That is their North Star. And sales North Star is make more money. <laughs> right. Hit targets. And hit targets. And if <laughs> and if the people enabling your sellers are not also working towards that North Star, you're going to have a problem. Don't you always kind of feel like sales is it's like them against the world? And I've felt that way, even in a sales individual contributor <laughs> role. It's just like, man, who's out there for us besides our leadership team right. of sales? nobody there that's really advocating totally they're absolutely in in companies that i've worked for in the past it felt like there was the entire rest of the company and then sales and i think that's that's like a culture thing and sort of a personality thing i think it's also 
the nature of the activities that people are doing, right? Sales is very looking forward into the future, projections, pipeline, like we live out in the future down the runway, whereas everybody else in the company is dealing with the right here, right now. What customer problems mm. do we have? Do we have, you know, a finance, right? Do we have all of our accounts payable paid? Do we have all of our yeah. billings in, you know, operation? You know, how do we keep the lights on? Do we need a bigger office, right? There's all these things that are yeah. like right here, right now problems. And so I think that separation is something that we just have to face head on. And, and we need advocates for our sales team that are right there, like in lockstep with them, not advocates over here in HR or RevOps or wherever else they might land, but advocates that are boots on the ground, if you will, yes. with our sellers. I, I've certainly seen some different twists and turns that this can take at, at my last organization. We had a full-time L&D person under our enablement umbrella, oh, and wow. it was great. She sat in on a monthly sales meeting. She sat in on team meetings. She worked with our sales managers directly to do you know listening tours and everything else. And then at one point, she was like siphoned over to L&D because the organization oh. hired a, a head of learning. And okay. basically, he needed some bodies under him. And we were like, this is not going to work a out fit. for anybody. Yeah. And it was like, we never saw her again. They literally made her move to a different floor in our office building. And we, you know, we lost so much touch with what she was working on because her manager directed her to projects that we weren't even aware of or that we didn't have any hands on. And it was really, really challenging. So I've seen it both ways within one organization. And you could see just like the roller coaster ride of what our sellers were getting from an L&D perspective because of those changes. The perception is everything as a, as a seller. And if you if I'm a seller and it's not to downplay their their understanding of infrastructure and organizational dynamics and stuff, but, you know, they're kind of focused on sales and what's going on within the go to market function. If I'm a salesperson and I see enablement that's in another realm with a different team, whether it's HR, L&D, what have you, I'm not going to take their word as much bond as I would somebody who is working towards those same. We're trying to do the same thing here, guys. And trust and rapport, that, man. Trust and yes. rapport. <laughs> it, it, it it's so huge, and like you're most of the time. And I've talked about this on other podcasts about like getting on calls and helping out reps and and things of that nature is very effective. Um, but even if we think more broadly than that, just kind of being with them in the mix, in the nitty gritty of their mm -hmm. deals and all of those things. I don't know if those other functions are going to be able to get down to that kind of like, like you said, boots on the ground, ground level, because their head's kind of in the clouds with their overarching remit, which extends to the entire company. So in that essence, staying in your lane within sales may be the best option where I think a lot of the times with enablers, especially in one man band organizations where you're the only person, you're wearing all those hats. You kind of don't have a choice and I, I think sellers want to kind of have you as their own, which is fair. Absolutely. Absolutely. So taking taking our step back up to our like pie in the sky vision, we just talked about how ultimately good enablement is both strategic and boots on the ground. So right. in the future, down the road, does that develop into its own 
seat at the table, if you will, in executive leadership. I think we all see a lot of value in enablement working its way up to, you know, or, or funneling up to the, the chief of sales, revenue leadership, et cetera. But do you see a world where we take it one step further and we actually sit at that leadership table as a chief whatever? Everyone's got mm -hmm. different ideas about what that should be. Chief productivity officer, chief yeah, enablement yeah. officer. Where do you see that? Do you, are you like, that's baloney and it's never going to happen? Is it possible? Tell me what your thoughts on the future of enablement leadership. First of all, if they're a chief enablement officer, that makes them a CEO, right? I mean, hey. I mean, I'm into it. I'm into it for sure. Yeah. I'll uh, put that on I'll my business card. No problem. <laughs> you don't even need to spell it out. Just say CEO. <laughs> no, I, all jokes aside, I mean, I think that's where we're moving towards. I don't think it's gonna, something that's going to happen tomorrow, maybe even within the next couple of years. But as this like herd understanding of enablement gets out there and it takes, quite frankly, people like us, Fiona, to, to standardize that message and what we do, I could see organizations starting to adopt having an enablement person, like you said, at that table. And I know the phrases could be said differently, whether it's like a CPO, productivity officer or whatnot. But I do like the kind of concept of productivity being an overarching focus for enablement because, you know, if you if you boil down what it is that we do, we are making sellers more productive and efficient and things of mm -hmm. that nature. So when you're at the table like that, yes, you probably would move slightly away from just sales enablement in the traditional form that we know mm -hmm. it as mm -hmm. and maybe more towards kind of like broader stuff for the company. But I like that you're going to have inherently that sales kind of top of mind, you know, f function in that regard. So you're going to be in a position where you could really speak for them on an executive mm -hmm. level. Mm -hmm. And that is going to produce volumes when you need to have anything be involved with change management. If you need to get something approved, if there's all these checks and balances with other teams that have a part in some of what enablement does, for instance, like product marketing, needing to approve the messaging you're going to have in your content and da 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 da. It's right. like when you're at that point, you kind of skip all those in a way and you can make that call because you have mm -hmm. all these other C-suite members at the table. And, you know, I've had an experience similar to that already. I was not called a CPO or uh, <laughs> the other CEO, as we would say. But you say. can just put it on your resume that way. Uh, so, yeah. I won't I, tell and, anyone. <laughs> and, I, and that's what I had as, I technically was like a CLO in this, but my mm. capacity was much, much larger than just learning. And I was like the main guy, everything non-finance. So I was doing HR, I was doing marketing, I was selling a little bit. I was, you know, obviously doing all the enablement functions we know now. But mm -hmm. at that same time, I kind of, I felt as though I had a voice. I felt as though I had like some inertia behind me to say, okay, this is what I'm seeing on the ground floor, like the day-to-day -day in the sales cycle. Right, the boots function, on the ground side. Right. Yep. And then I also have all these other conversations cross-functionally that I'm being involved in. And that's why I always promote, push yourself to get involved in these different meetings, if you will, is the best example. If there's conversations cross-functionally and stuff, jump in even mm -hmm. if you're not supposed to be the worst they're going to say is no and i think that helps extend your prowess amongst the entire mm -hmm. organization so you know i would to sum it up i would love to be in a world where 
there is a CEO for a role that I apply to in the future, or, you know, my team currently has members that can get up to that level because then I know, wow, we're really going to impact change here and quickly, mm -hmm. which seems to be a problem in most orgs. And I, I think it was Coach K who posted something about this recently. He did like his own org chart of what it would look like to have a CPO, CEO, CEO2, whatever we want to call it. <laughs> um, and one thing I think is really interesting about the possibility of that is we go beyond just sales enablement, revenue enablement, right? Like it becomes really the opportunity. And I think that's how you get the authority to do full cycle go-to-market enablement, CS, right. you know, pre-sales, post-sales, implementation, like all of those folks need enablement in some form or fashion. And sales right. got on the bandwagon early but I really think that there's a world in which we have a C-level enablement executive. They're responsible for everybody in the organization that touches a customer, essentially. Mm -hmm. And then you also maybe even partner with HR or pull some of the L&D under that function because you are now touching all the parts of the organization that need L&D, but they need all the other parts of enablement as well. So I'll find that post and I'll link it in the show notes because I think the way that Coach K explained it made a lot of sense. The comments on that post went real deep <laughs> and really broke it down a lot. So so check that out because it, it, in some ways it's selfish, right? Like we came up with this idea, I would argue we as enablers came up with this idea of this like chief enablement position, right? This executive enablement position. And part of it is selfish, right? Like we all have careers. We all have somewhere we want to go. But I think the other piece of it, going back to how strategic we are in our function, is there's a need, right? There's a need for a higher level vision for an organization around enablement. There's a need for a, a person at the table. And like you said, sometimes we have to bring our folding chair and pull up. Yeah. Sometimes yeah, yeah. we just have to push our way in there, but there is a need for it. And I think one of our strengths in enablement is that we are so good at looking at the landscape and identifying a need. And I think that's really ultimately what the role of a CPO CEO serves. You're like a master relationship maker. Exactly. Exactly. I talk about this probably way too much. There's this book called The Synergist, and it talks about sort of three types of, of people in an organization and the triangle, sort of the relationship of those three people. And what the book talks about is if you flatten that triangle and you put a fourth person in, in their construct, but if you put this person that they call the synergist in the middle they're doing the cross-functional stakeholder relationship management, where have we heard that before, um, <laughs> to to kind of be the glue, right? And, and I think each executive within an organization, their job is to execute their functions, KPIs, goals, everything that you can measure, right? That's their job. Execute this set of things. But you don't typically have someone who looks at the scene and says, Okay, these guys are working on process ABC. These guys are working on XYZ. Where's the crossover? How do those things relate? How do we help each other accomplish both of those things? And that's really what I see that executive enablement role doing a lot of, like you said, sort of stepping out of the day-to-day -day enablement stuff and looking at it more holistically in that larger picture. Bridging By the way, that's what I want to do when I grow up, so. 
we'll work on that. <laughs> I will absolutely endorse you for that. I, I, I think that there's like a lot of validity in wanting to be in a position that high and kind of working with these other functions that you wouldn't, it, it's kind of funny, like you wouldn't go in L&D and HR's team willingly as an enabler, but we'd happily take them in, put the arm around the shoulder. Heck and, yeah. You know, Those guys and, are and, awesome and they have a really important job. They do. And and like we can align with them on those specific functions with the background of like, hey, here are these goals that and metrics and whatnot or, rev, you know, North Star metrics, if you will, to move towards. And I, I think that they that may actually be more fulfilling for somebody who's in like an L&D type role and be able to empower them to kind of take make their role way more dynamic than it currently is today. I would love a world where we get to that kind of CEO 2.0, in essence, enabler. And that would be a massive accomplishment for the function. But further to that is what it's going to be doing after that is how much notoriety enablement will get as a result. And maybe at that point, things even kind of kind of branch out even further to that. You're going to have, mm -hmm. we see it a little bit now. There's product enablers, there's marketing CS type enablement, of, marketing yep, CS enablement. enablement. Mm -hmm. And like, those are important functions, but they serve different purposes. And I don't know if they're as out there in the open as they would be and probably be fostered for by having a chief enabler. Absolutely. I think it elevates everybody, right? The rising tide raises all the ships and it gives us an opportunity to really double down on the evolution of those different types of enablement across an organization. I love it. I think we've like really nailed like what would happen if, right? The what if we, first of all, agreed that enablement should fall under the sales leadership. Done and dusted. We're not talking about it again. Yes. <laughs> and that if we did that, it does two things, right? It allows for the right level of alignment to goals, the authority to execute on that, and the interaction with all of our partners and stakeholders, rep ops, product marketing, product development, CS, you know, it, it gives us the authority to have those relationships. And, and ultimately, that then the secondary piece is that enables us to continue to grow in our profession, to continue to elevate the conversation and eventually, hopefully, land a seat at the table in the executive suite as that that cpo see you really love the ceo piece i know i get it dude <laughs> so hopefully i think this conversation is really summed up i think a really good framework for understanding <laughs> let's let's just hit the nail on the head one more time why it's important for enablement to fall under sales leadership I cannot wait for the comments and the feedback that we get about this because I know some people are going to want to fight us, but that's okay. Do you and me right. against the world, Christian. That's um, right. <laughs> so Christian, as you're thinking about elevating the profession, continuing to align the way that we think it should be aligned, how can we help you? This is Enablement Amplified. We want to amplify the work that all of us are doing in this space. So tell us a little bit about what you're up to. I always think like hot ones, like this camera, this camera, this camera, tell the people <laughs> what you're doing. But yeah, give it to us. Yeah, I mean, it's two things and I'll, I'll keep them brief for you. I, currently, like one of my responsibilities in my current role is to, we've heard this before, completely revamp an onboarding program that's globally and, you know, across the span of three different roles. So BDs, the traditional SDR, BDR, 
there's AEs and then account managers, which in some other orgs would be looked at as like a CS function. Mm -hmm. And that is a obviously an arduous task. And I think understanding, you know, where we want it to be when it's finished is something that I spent quite a bit of time on. But now it's post implementation. What do we really want to be looking at? I mean, of course, there's all the things like, you know, make sure that the content's up to date. I'm on these weekly team meetings with the cross-functional leaders. So if we have enhancements or behavioral changes or whatnot, I can go update that content quarterly accordingly. But it's more about like, what other things could I do to help keep improving on it over time? So definitely looking for that. And then other than that, I would say it's more on the personal professional side, but I am looking to get into some more speaking engagements, whether it's on the podcast or ideally something similar to you, Fiona, at SES, which is, you know, be able to be able to speak to a group of people. So that's definitely something I'm looking to get my foot in the door with. So if anybody is interested in having that in the capacity that I can provide, please let me know. Yeah, absolutely. So if you are um, familiar with revamping global onboarding, get in touch with Christian. His LinkedIn will be in the show notes. And then I, I can say this very easily because Christian and I have had a good amount of time to connect and talk. He's a lot of insightful things to share. He's been on some great podcasts already, this one included, right? <laughs> and and I think really can bring his knowledge to a lot of different organizations, whether that's like holding trainings, holding conversations with groups of people within an organization or at conferences. Christian absolutely has a lot to share. So hit him up for that as well. And then last but not least, I'm a big believer in pay it forward. So who do you want to shout out maybe one or two people for what they're up to in the enablement space and, and want to kind of give them a high five, a gold star from the show? Absolutely. Well, the, the first thing that comes to mind is my man, Kieran Smith. Um, <laughs> I'm laughing because he just connected with me on LinkedIn and we're going to do, well, allegedly, Kieran, get it together. We're going to do a swap. I'm going to be on his show and he's going to be on mine if maybe this catalyzes that a little bit. <laughs> I hope so. No, I, I tell uh, us about Kieran. I don't know him that well. So, so give him his flowers, man. He's an incredible resource in the enablement world. He brings this phrase that I know we've been talking about a lot, Fiona, post you and Sally being at SES, which is like the sense of community. He's really been at the forefront of connecting the dots between all of us as enablers. I think one of my first podcasts was his Enablement Evolved. And just the topics that he talks about are so interesting, very engaging discussion. And, you know, obviously a, a nice guy to talk to. But I think he's answered many questions that I think all of us enablers have had for quite a while. And not to mention, if you take a look at his LinkedIn or his Enablement Evolved LinkedIn page, boy, he posts some funny enablement memes. Definitely. Check those <laughs> yeah, he's, in, he's incredible. And I think the, the only other person I want to uh, mention, he's not necessarily an enabler, but he has very much so shaped my career, shaped my ability and what I think I can do. And that is Zach Bigelow. He's going to probably be like, he's probably going to be getting red in the cheeks if I say this. But at this point, he he's a phenomenal friend to me, but at one time was my leader at the first kind of organization I worked my way up in and was promoted within, which obviously was a, a massive accomplishment for me. But I learned so much from him about how to work with people moving quickly when you don't necessarily have the resources and how exciting it can be when you do exec execute on those goals and has shown me just so many life lessons. I really want 
you know him to be known out there as as somebody who really can shake up an organization from a sales leadership function. I love it. I love it. Well, we will definitely link Kieran and Zach in the show notes. I'll link um, Enablement Evolved, which is Kieran's podcast. Christian, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much for like putting your flag in the ground with me so that I'm yes. not a crazy person. And and I really am excited to share this conversation with everyone and see what feedback we get. So thank you so much for being here and we will talk again soon. Thanks so much, Fiona. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, I'm your host, Fiona Simpson. Take care.